0: Welcome to another sermon podcast from Central Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode will feature a sermon delivered by the Reverend Shannon Johnson Kirshner. The sermon is based on scripture from Psalm 25, verses 1 through 10, and Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. Central Sunday morning service for the 18th of February, 2024, the first Sunday of Lent, was streamed to our website, our Facebook page, and our YouTube channel. A complete video or sermon audio replay of this service may be found on cpcatlanta.org. Select the upper right menu, and then Sermons Under Worship.
1: During this season of Lent, we are going to be following Jesus through the Gospel of Mark using selections from the Narrative Lectionary. So we start this day in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. I invite you to again listen for God's living word. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, The man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. The man said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the man heard this, he was shocked, and he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, "'Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God.' They were greatly astounded and said to one another, "'Then who can be saved?' Jesus looked at them and said, "'For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible.' Peter began to say to Jesus, look, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Holy wisdom, holy word. A preacher friend of mine once told me every time I hear this text, I think, I am so far from living the way Jesus wants me to live. Do you ever feel that way when you hear the story? I know I do. Go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. Every time I hear Jesus issue the four-part challenge to the man with the money, I quickly take a personal inventory of how much I don't do those things, certainly not fully and consistently. And always I conclude something similar to my friend. I'm so far from living like Jesus wants me to live. We're not sure exactly how the rich man felt, but Jesus' response to his earnest question seems to have caught him a little off guard. It does not seem to be what he expected at all. After all, he's the one who sought Jesus out. Jesus did not walk by that man and say, follow me. Rather, Jesus simply walked by and the man chased him down. But not only did the man run after Jesus, as soon as he caught up to him, and before he said a single thing, he knelt down at Jesus' feet. Now, I must admit to you, I've always skipped through this initial part of the interaction. As someone who does not have to worry where her next meal is coming from and is someone who in relation to most folk in the world has more than enough, I I skip this first part of the conversation between Jesus and the rich man because I know what Jesus is about to do. I know he's going to make some extremely stark pronouncements about the extreme difficulty rich people have as they try to live into God's topsy-turvy, first will be last, last will be first, blessed are the poor and meek, if someone strikes you turn the other cheek, new order. So because I always know what's coming my way, I've typically skimmed through this initial encounter of the rich man kneeling and Jesus noticing. I'm always ready to just hurry up and hear what Jesus has to say about money, knowing my stomach is going to get all anxious again. But then after that, I just skip two of the words, without God, all things are possible. And once I get to that part, I can remember that because of who God is, even my salvation is possible, even yours I read something this week, though, that stopped me in my tracks. David Lose, a former Lutheran seminary president, suggested the following. What if this scene is actually not some kind of liberal altar call, but rather a healing story? He asked. First, did you ever notice that all the people in Mark's gospel who kneel to Jesus and ask for a blessing either have some dread disease or are demon-possessed? And second, almost every time Jesus orders someone to go, like he does this guy, it's always in relation to a healing. So what if this guy, this rich man, isn't just pious and looking for assurance? Remember, he does claim that he's fulfilled all the commandments since forever. Rather, what if this man is sick, heart sick? And somewhere deep down, he knows this, and he seeks out Jesus with his question about heavenly entrance exams because the man knows that whatever his appearance on the outside, whatever his faithful and pious life, he's still missing something, something important, something that matters, something worth doing, something that's a matter of life and death. Thus, at its base… Might this be a healing story? Now, before we explore that interpretation further, let me say outright what some of you might be thinking. I am fully aware that this different slant on the text, this concentration on how the interaction unfolded, this emphasis on the man and his kneeling posture, I'm fully aware none of that addresses the wealth question raised by the text. I have to say that out loud because, as David Buttrick, the late preaching professor, put it, there's no doubt that Jesus was profoundly concerned about money. 16 out of 38 parables talk about money and possessions. In the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses talks about money, 288 in all. The whole of Scripture offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Even in this story... Proclaims it's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into God's social order. And yes, we can certainly talk about all those money passages, even our passage today, from the viewpoint that it's actually our attitude towards money that matters rather than the concentration of wealth. We can certainly focus on seeing the main issue as the temptation of letting our possessions possess us. All of those very North American strategies are often used, used by this preacher herself. I'm sure I did something like that during stewardship, but as another friend of mine once tossed out in relation to this exact discussion, that ain't what the brother said. The brother being Rather, Jesus stated outright how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. That's exactly what he said. And whether that makes you happy because the rich folk are finally getting what's coming to them, or if that statement makes you mad, don't send me an email, take it up with Jesus. (laughs) I just need you to know that I'm quite aware that by changing our exegetical lens to see this as a healing story rather than as a story of confrontation between Jesus and many of us in here today, I'm aware that could be seen as a cop-out. And perhaps it is, but this is my disclaimer. And yet I'm willing to sit in that hypocrisy with you because I'm still struck by the exegetical suggestion that this conversation between the rich man and Jesus is extremely similar to other healing stories in scripture. Two other parts of their interaction build that case for me. The first is when Mark writes that Jesus looked at the rich man and loved him. This is the only time Mark records Jesus expressly conveying love. That is striking to me. Why did Mark feel it was necessary for us to know Jesus' posture towards the man? A person who chased after him until he could kneel at his feet. Why did we need to know that that was a posture of love? What did Jesus see in him that caused his love for him, to move into the spotlight. The second reason I'm swayed by this interpretation of the encounter as a healing story is because of how Jesus then began his response, there's one thing that you lack. Lack? My guess is no one had ever told the rich man he lacked a single thing in his entire life. Lack? It was almost a foreign concept to him, a different language. If he ever thought he lacked something, he'd just go out and acquire it. No one had ever told him he lacked anything before, but Jesus did. Why? Again, I'm going to paraphrase Los. Maybe Jesus sees that all this guy has, his knowledge of the law, his perfect piety, his abundant wealth, all of it has distorted his sense of himself distorted his sense of God, distorted his sense of neighbor. Jesus sees all that. Might that be, then, why Jesus tells him to divest? Does Jesus give him that command so that the seeking, heart-sick man can really learn to live by faith in God and in solidarity with neighbor for the first time in his life? which would be, when you think about it, like having treasure in heaven. Jesus looked at this heart-sick man in the eyes and realized that all of this man's knowledge, his sense of piety, and his abundant wealth, things the man considered his achievements, were actually keeping him from being able to fully live as a disciple, in part because all of those achievements offered him a false sense of security a false sense of superiority, a false sense of wholeness. And until the rich man was willing to let go of all of it, all those achievements upon which he had built his identity his whole life, until he was willing to give all that up, he would be unable to be healed. He'd be unable to authentically follow the one in whom his identity was truly found. Perhaps the rich man lacked what the rich man lacked was the ability, the trust, the faith to remember what we said on Ash Wednesday, to remember to whom he actually belonged and how that belongingness needed to impact the decisions he made in his life. And since he lacked that, he was not free enough to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Friends, as we move into this season of Lent together, I've been wondering what we, like the rich man, lack. What's keeping us from following Jesus with our whole hearts, our whole selves? How do we need to be healed this Lent? If our interpretation of the encounter as a healing story is true, then Jesus might just be doing the same thing to us even now. That is, Jesus might be looking at us with deep love and perceiving the deep heart sickness in each of us, giving us something to do, something to give up or away or somewhere to go. Are there things, ways of being that we are so afraid to let go of that we, like the rich man, might just rather choose to walk away grieving and leave the possibility of faithful discipleship, the possibility of our healing, behind. Might that thing be our wealth or material goods? For some of us, it very well could be. After all, we've worked hard, we've achieved a lot. Some of us have made decisions that... Kept us away from important family events or important moments with friends so that we could really excel at our job, so that what we we could provide what we feel is an honest security for those we love. And as a result, for some of us, our net worth has become the primary thing that gives us worth, the primary way we measure our life's value and meaning. Thus, the idea of divesting ourselves of any of it, never mind all of it, sounds terrifying. So even if our hearts break as we walk away from Jesus, so be it. We'd rather be heartbroken and well-off instead of healed. Are some of us quite similar to the rich man himself? Is that what we lack? What's making us heartsick? Or might the thing that's holding us back from our healing, the thing that's making us heart-sick, be our strong partisan worldviews? Have we become so entrenched in our way of thinking only listening to those who are on the same page, writing off anyone who might feel differently, that we are now primarily defined by our partisanship. We are a progressive or an independent or a conservative first, disciple second. Is it how we vote that primarily defines us or defines this community these days? Those are just two possibilities Perhaps it's neither of those things that's making you heart sick, but something else completely. Maybe it's fear or grief or anger. Perhaps it's guilt or the inability to forgive. I don't know what it is for you. What I do know, though, is that Lent offers us the time to figure it out if we want to. If we put ourselves in the position of the rich man, kneeling at Jesus' feet, seeking our healing, even if we don't know how to ask for it, what does Jesus see in us as he looks at each one of us in deep love? What lacking does he perceive in us? What's making us heartsick, unable or unwilling to follow him with our whole selves, our whole lives? And once it becomes clear to us, if Jesus were to say to us, which he does, now go and get rid of that so you can follow me, are we able to let whatever it is go? Or do we join the rich man in walking away from Jesus, full of deep grief, deep heart sickness, but still choosing to stay stuck, still choosing to stay the exact same? Perhaps we ought to just skip ahead to my favorite part again. Everything is possible for God. Even our healing. Even our salvation. Even our liberation. But still this Lent, I invite all of us, preacher included, to ask ourselves, what is it that Jesus would perceive that we lack? What is it that keeps us from living fully in God's new order, in the reign of heaven, in God's household, what might it be? And can we let it go? Amen.
0: We are glad you joined us for this podcast from Central Presbyterian Church. Central is a welcoming congregation of the Presbyterian Church USA located in downtown Atlanta across from the state capital. For more information about the life, work and ministries please visit our website at cpcatlanta.org. We also invite you to join us for worship and Sunday school and experience this exciting and diverse body of believers who seek to be bearers of God's justice in the world. Thanks again for listening.